Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. And I have a rare treat for you today. And when I say rare, I mean exceedingly rare. I mean, if it was a steak, a good vet would be able to get it back up on its feet. That level of rarity is coming to you because as you probably know, if you are a long time or even reasonable time listener to the Bruce exclusive, I don't really do guests very much, but that's about to change. And what better guest to bring on to talk about the topic that I want to discuss today than Sterling Furrow, my man, the myth, the legend, one of the co-hosts of the Hoof Podcast on the Cover One Podcast Network. The podcast itself drops on Friday, and then the live show streams on Tuesday evenings along with the co-hosts, Anthony Romeo and Eric Brown. Sterling, how you doing, dude? Bruce, man, I am, uh, I'm thrilled to be here, man. And I love steaks, so I like mine medium rare. So if, if we ever meet, you know, face-to-face and we go get some dinner, let's go get a steak because uh, I'm down, totally down. I like steaks. Now, let me ask you, are you a grill steak guy? Grill outside? Are you a pan fry steak kind of guy? What What is your preferred method of cooking steak? Pan fried. Oh, yeah. Pan, pan fried. fried. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Butter. You got to have your butter, you know, and to baste it. And oh, yeah, I like all the juices and all that. I am a sous vide guy. I don't know if we've discussed this before, but I do my steaks under vacuum in a sous vide circulator, and then I take them out and make sure that they're bone dry and then sear them on both sides in a cast iron with avocado oil because it has a higher smoke point and some butter. That's the way that I've historically done my steaks, and I don't think I could ever go back at this point. I've never had that, man. That That is a whole nother level of bougie that I have not experienced yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, what it is is that I'm, I'm, I'm not confident enough in my abilities to be able to acquire consistently perfect temperature from my steak. So what I have to do is I have to allow science to do the cooking for me because I don't trust the artistic part of my brain. I'm pretty sure there is one, but I just don't know where it is. And because I can't find it, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to allow math to do the work for me because I can always count on math. And (laughs) one of the other things you can always count on is your offensive line. How about that for a segue? So we are going to talk about interior offensive line today. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I wanted to talk about something that I feel like is sliding a little under the radar for the Buffalo Bills right now. I think that predominantly there are discussions around edge and wide receiver and corner when it comes to high picks in this year's draft. But after the Buffalo Bills re-signed guard John Feliciano, and it turned out that Mitch Morse was going to stay after a restructure, I feel like it kind of got brushed under the table a little bit. First off, before we even go down this list, am I completely off base here, Sterling? Or is the narrative just not there in regards to offensive linemen interior-wise high in this draft? 
Yeah, I think this is one of those drafts where I think you have a a middle tier pack of interior offensive linemen, probably the range from rounds, you know, two to four. And, and just overall, I think the position may be a little devalued or when it comes to positional value, you know, many times it's not worth the first round pick. Uh, just doing a little bit of, of research here. Um, and if you, you have to go all the way back to uh, 1990. That was the year like more draft capital on a per position basis was used on interior linemen than tackles. 1990. So that should tell you, you know, the history of, you know, teams don't value uh, interior offensive linemen as they do offensive tackles, which is interesting, Bruce, because there's three interior offensive linemen on each play. Mm. Right. And so you would think that it would have more value, but it just doesn't. I was having this discussion with Joe Marino on Locked on Bills for an episode that dropped on Tuesday. And we were talking about the tweet from Daniel Jeremiah. I don't know if you saw it about the idea that how good your worst player is on your offensive line matters more than how good your best player is, because defensive schemes will attack your weak point regardless of where it is. You can't hide a bad left guard or a bad right guard or a bad center. It's just not something you can get by with. You can get by with decent players, but if you have a really, really bad player, it's going to anchor the rest of your offensive line down. Do you agree with that statement? Do you agree with the fact that how good as a unit your unit can be is largely more determined by your worst player than your best player? Yeah, I think it goes to the old adage, you're only as strong as your weakest link. I think that applies here. You know, you if if offensive linemen, if you're supposed to operate in unison in a in a group setting, then yeah, your your weakest point definitely is gonna get magnified and and to where, you know, there's so much um the talent levels are so high at in the NFL, you know, the weakest point teams are gonna exploit that as a matchup think- nightmare. I think it also applies to corner. I'm not going we're not going to go down this road, but this whole idea of a unit only being as strong as its weakest link. I think we understand that with offensive line and then we like don't understand it with any other positions. You know, and how things trickle into other things and if you don't have a wide receiver who can draw coverage away from your primary target, then you can double that and that changes things and corners have impact on your defensive schemes. If you have one corner who simply cannot turn and run, then you're going to have to kind of anchor that defensive scheme around your worst player. And so I think that that trickles into a lot of different aspects of football, but specifically we're talking about the offensive line and knowing full well that the last time interior offensive line was valued as far as draft capital more than offensive tackle was 1990. How do you value the position? First off, is it worth a first round pick? Are you okay spending a first round pick on an interior offensive lineman? No, I can't. I mean, and I've tried to wrap my mind around this. I think in this draft, the safest pick is probably an interior offensive lineman. If you're going to go first round value wise, the safest pick or cornerback. But I just think that, you know, going guard or center in round one, I think, man, I just think that, you know, historically your, your best interior offensive lineman are found in rounds three to five. So I don't think this draft class is any different here. I think you're going to see a lot of quality depth starters that guys that turn out to be starters are going to be found in rounds three to five this year. 
So when you look at players like Quentin Nelson, for example, getting drafted at six by the Colts, you're like, okay, that's an outlier, right? But overall, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at the value of the pick versus the return on the player and versus the availability of a pick that can get me a good player. And you're looking at it going, listen, I don't have to spend a first on a running back. I can spend it in the seven. Is it the same mindset, the same idea that I have regarding something when regards to running back? Is it the same concept that you have with guard? Yeah, and I think it's traits, right? I think it comes down to traits. Like Quentin Nelson, I mean, he is a, I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And people were saying that even in the pre-draft process when he was uh, drafted. But look at guys like Billy Price, who was drafted in the same class in the first round, first overall. And you think, okay, well, what has he really done, right? And it just goes to show that, you know, quality offensive linemen can be had all over the place. But your value point comes, I think it starts at round three. And I, and it, you have to look at also how long does it take for these guys to develop? And teams don't typically value offensive linemen. That's why there's such a, a major shortage in quality play of linemen in the NFL today. Do you think that the shortage of quality linemen actually increases your value from picking them higher, knowing how rare they are? Is it a supply and demand thing? Like you say, okay, it starts at round three, right? For an interior offensive lineman. Is it creeping up? Now we know the data point, but talk to me about the trend. Are we more apt? Are we more comfortable drafting interior offensive line now than we were 10 years ago? Because the shortage and the supply and the demand curve is making it such a degree that, okay, previously I didn't want to draft one until day three, but now I'm cool drafting it in the third round. And maybe three years from now I'll be drafting in the second. Is it trending in a right direction, you think? Yeah, I think so, because you're seeing, you know, a lot more spread offenses and these offensive linemen are having to play in space more. You know, you're going to see, I think the more athletic the lineman is, I think the higher he goes. (laughs) And and I think NFL teams feel like they can coach, you know, necessary, you know, the IQ or the traits and so forth. But I mean, you know, from just the the research that I've done on on the, in the interior offensive class this year, how many, you know, a lot of these guys are average to below average athletes. But when you get a guy that's an average to above average athlete, these guys are going to start going very high. So I think, you know, I mean, quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball quicker than they have before. I mean, so it's it's tough. It's really tough to grade at the scout. It really is. When I was trying to do, I'm working on my mock draft. So every year I do a seven round 32 team mock draft for Buffalo Rumblings. It takes me a bajillion hours to do. It includes trades. It's the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle. And when you're working on a trade up in the fourth round with someone, that's where you're like, I- I've gone too far. Like, really, this has become an obsession for me. Really, I should probably just take this back. There's no rational person who should be working on trade up in the fourth rounds from the mock draft and making sure all the values are correct. And well, they got to be jumping in front of somebody for something, right? And so as I was working on this, and I was looking at the Carolina Panthers, and I was thinking about Joe Brady and five-man protections that you see from Joe Brady. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if the advent of more five-man protection-based schemes is going to increase the value of interior offensive line. I wonder if that is going to do so or if it already is doing so. So the fact that you brought that up with the spread concepts, that kind of lines right in with where I was thinking. So oh, as you talked about athletes, go ahead. Oh, and Bruce, and think about this. How many... Um, and it, I just thought of this as you were talking, how many offensive tackles are we going to see 
get converted to guard because tackles typically are the better athlete. I think we're going to see a lot of that. So you, know? you actually completely stole what I was just about to say with you. So I was, <laughs> I was literally about to ask you. So speaking of offensive guards who are really good athletes, do you think Alex Leatherwood is a guard or a tackle? Ooh, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I would have to go with, he's a better guard. I think okay. he's a better guard. Cause he's played four positions on the offensive line. He tested out like a monster. So I think that a lot of people coming into the process thought Alex Leatherwood was, was a guard and then he tested really well. And they're like, well, maybe he's a tackle. I don't know. But I think what you're saying is that great athletes don't have to play tackle. Great athletes can play guard. And I think yeah. that you need to have great athletes play guard given the fact that we are transitioning as a NFL culture to more spread concepts, pace and space, five-man protections, things that need your guards to be a little bit more self-sufficient. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've established where you view the position and whether you view it's worth a first-round pick and you feel about it similarly the way I feel about running backs, how significantly do you view the need for the Bills. Now, you have Cody Ford at ostensibly left guard. We'll see what they do. We'll see if they mess with him again. But ostensibly, he's your left guard. John Feliciano is your right guard. And then you brought Ike Butker back. How significantly do you think the interior offensive line is a need for the Bills right now? And then does that change as we go look into the future? I think it changes as we look into the future, uh, just because I don't think we have quality starters as depth uh, moving forward. I mean, you have John Feliciano, who I think is an average to below average starter at best. Uh, Cody Ford, who we just don't know about. And so after that, and then who knows what they're going to do with Mitch Morris moving forward. Um, I think it's a need. I think it's a need now. And I think it's something that they should invest in in the future because uh I mean, our, our running game was was hindered by the lack of guard play this past season. So when you look at our running game, how significantly do you think the guard play played into it? Do, do you put a, more of an onus on the running backs, more of an onus on the offensive line play, the guards? Like, where do you slot guard play? Um, I think it's the engine of the run game because because your running backs are limited from in terms of uh, getting out in space, hitting the second level or getting to the edge, you know, I think a lot of pressure is being put on these, these guards to perform, to, to get guys out of the way. And so I think if you had, you know, better guard play, I think you could live with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss as your running backs. And they probably, you know, their numbers would be better, but because your guard play suffered mightily, you know, cohesion on the offensive line suffered mightily. I think that's where you come into the problem. So, you know, we find the Bills just throwing the ball all over the yard all day long. And I don't blame them because you're not getting much help out of the backfield. And, you know, it was inconsistent play at guard all season long. So um, I, I think it's something, like I said, I think it's something that they need to address uh, moving forward. But it starts with the guards. It's, it's important enough to where we don't have quality starters. So it, it's a need. Okay. So we established it's a need. Where do you rank it? Is it above corner, below corner, above edge, below edge? Like how seriously should Bill's Mafia be taking the needed guard? Is it urgent? Is it, oh my gosh, like we need a starter like right now. Is it something where, okay, I want a starter, 
but there's other things I prioritize more. Like how significant do you view it? Um, I think it's pretty significant. However, I do feel cornerback is probably uh, your top need. And I'm going to join the, the Bruce, the Bruce Nolan train here because it, you do, you remember when the bills had uh, uh, what's his name? Got gains, right? At corner, yeah. at corner back too. how better how much better the defense played as a unit overall because they had a guy who could play zone but also excel in man coverage the bills need you know the bills need a, a lockdown corner at cb2 more than pass rusher i think you know if you can get these guys into cover sacks i think jerry hughes and mario addison they're good enough uh, to 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 get to the quarterback, not just from a pressure wise, but to actually finish the play and get the sack. If they had more help, you know, from CB two or maybe uh, linebackers that can cover tight ends. You are pandering to your host, and I'm here for it. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In case you're all wondering what what Sterling just said was coverage is more important than pass rush. Just in case you were ever wondering what he said, you heard it from the. I mean, I, I'm totally not extrapolating that at all. You totally heard him say that. No, I'm just kidding. But so, okay, so guards, a fairly serious need at this point. You said we got an average to below average starter in John Felicio and a completely unknown in Cody Ford. So who are some players that you like early in the draft that you think could come in and contribute immediately? And where would we start looking for them? Uh, so the first guy that comes to mind is Landon Dickerson. And this is a six foot six, 320 pound, massive beefsteak. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think Landon Dickerson, his value is going to start in round two, probably uh, early to mid round two is where you're going to see a guy like him come off the board. Um, but he's a guy that can come in uh, and start right away. Uh, he got great hands at the point of attack. I think he's an average athlete you can win with, but his versatility, I mean, he's played every position on the offensive line that you could even asked for um and, and he's got good power so i think he's a guy i think he's a guy that you could slot in uh i put him at right guard in a heartbeat over john feliciano and i put move feliciano to left guard and and until we could fight figure out what we're gonna do with cody ford here um another guy i like is creed humphrey now this is if this guy doesn't scream bill's mafia sean mcdermott <laughs> and you know what i'm gonna say okay yeah. because the guy wrestled at the age of four. I mean, it's it's in his DNA from his brother, older brother to his dad and so forth. But he's nasty. He's a mauler. Uh, he's another guy who is an average athlete. But I think he's a guy, you know, six foot five, 312 pounds. Uh, you know, he has uh, extensive tape at Oklahoma and he plays center. But I think he could play he could play guard as well. So um, I think McDermott and being like their guys with position versus flexibility and versatility. So I think he's an, another guy. Um, if you want to go late in the rounds, um, Sedarius Hutcherson from uh, South Carolina. Now, he has experience in the SEC, and I think that means something because you're playing against guys that you're going to see day in and day out on Sundays in the NFL. So that definitely helps him. He's a, he's a guy that also has some position flexibility, um, and he, he's averaging space, and he can get to the second level. And so uh, those are some guys that I that I like that are just straight guards, right? Now, you look at some guys that – Technically play tackle that can go into guard that could be available. If the bills want to go this route of pick 30, a guy like Jalen Mayfield uh, from Michigan, you know, I'm a Michigan guy, so I'm always talking about my, my dudes, but uh, <laughs> he's a tackle, uh, but he can also play guard. Um, and then, you know, Alex Leatherwood, I think he would be uh, 
a great guard prospect. And, and uh, Liam Eikenberg, I, I would put him at guard. Six foot six, 305 pounds. I mean, guy has a great pedigree. Um, I think he'd be a stud if you were to get him as a guard for the Bills. Liam Eikenberg gives me some Anthony Costanzo vibes. Doesn't he? Does he, does he give you some vibes? Like, you just look at him and you my, – my, my, my gif in regards to watching Liam Eikenberg is just – yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's fine. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel wowed by anything he does. I just feel like he's going to be completely reasonable left tackle starter or a completely reasonable guard starter for like the next decade. And we're just not even going to pay attention to him. He's just like, Oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. He, it's, it's the, it's his body type and long arms that just like Anthony Costanzo has long arms, bro. And, and he totally reminds me of him. So I, I, I like that. He totally does. Well, when the when the Colts come to picking my my Bruce Nolan ridiculous you've gone too far mock draft, maybe <laughs> maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll replace Anthony Costanza with Anthony Costanza. Who knows? So <laughs> I'm I'm looking through your prospects here, and you brought up Sedarius Hutchinson, and one of the things that you said was he can get to the second level, and the departure in offensive run calls for the Bills from more man and pin and pull to more zone in 2020. If you were to speculate, what do you think prompted the change and do you anticipate an adjustment in 2021? Okay, now before we start with that question, I need to make sure that I explain what a pin and pull is because people have been talking about this this offseason and I'm not entirely sure anyone actually defined it. So pin and pull is an offensive blocking concept where uncovered linemen will pull out in the direction of the run and covered linemen will seal down against the direction of the run. So what you do is you created like a, a parting of the Red Sea effect, right? And what happens is, let's say, for example, that you have, you know, you have linemen covering up your center and your, you know, he's nose up over the center in zero tech, and then it's a three-man front and they're covering both your tackles, okay? Well, that means is that you have both of your guards are going to pull out and let's say it's a sweep to the right. Both of your guards, because they're uncovered, are going to pull out to the right. And then the offensive linemen who are covered are going to block down to the left. And you're going to try and create this wedge where the running back can get in behind blocks, but also have room. And you're going to essentially outflank. You're going to try and we, we called this dooring when I was playing football, we called it dooring. Cause it's like a swinging door. You're trying to swinging door. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched the the movie Gettysburg, they talk a little bit about the battle of the uh, one of the battles that happened at the Battle of Gettysburg. They had kind of a swinging gate effect and they were trying to outflank the the uh, Confederate army as they were coming up the hill. It's a very similar concept. The idea being that who pulls and who stays is based on who's covered at the time of the snap. And one of the ways that defenses will mess with this is, of course, they'll bring their linebackers down and they'll they'll mug the a gap and screw up your pin and pull. But. One of the things that we need to do before we even go any further is we have to define pin and pull. So do you have anything to add before we go into man, pin and pull and zone? Yeah. So and to, to go to your point, I think the pin and pull, it, the foundation of it is communication is so important, you know, and you have to be agile enough uh, to get defenders in space and at the next level. So you have to be an agile offensive lineman to effectively run the pin and pull. So now that we've established that and some of the traits that you need that you just mentioned that are helpful to run pin and pull is also some of the traits that help you run zone, having a little bit more athleticism and being able to get out and be able to make contact with people on the move is important. 
So what do you think prompted the change to more zone in 2020? And do you anticipate an adjustment back in 2021? Or do you think this is just the new way? I think they're going to go back to the pin and pull. And I think the reason why they probably went to uh, more zone concepts in 2020 was, I think, because they didn't know what they had in Josh Allen uh, as far as what his development was going to be. I, I think, you know, running that, it was the ability to mask the run and, and accentuate the the play action pass game. I thought that was going to be, that's probably why Dable went to the zone run scheme in 2020. Um, and also Dable's a tinkerer. Like he likes to, the, to tinker around with stuff and mm. kind of see how, you know, he's a, he's a thinking man's offensive coordinator, kind of like Andy Reed, how they are constantly coming up with new concepts and new plays and, and so forth. And so I think it was one of those things where ideally if they had the best five that they could possibly put out there, I think zone would be their preferred scheme. But I think because you just don't have great interior offensive line play. And also they didn't know what they were going to have a right tackle. So um, I think a lot of those things kind of played into the, you know, why they're going to go back to the pin and pull, because now I think this is an easier scheme to pull off than your zone blocking scheme based on their personnel. I think maybe that's why you see them go out in free agency and get a, 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 a ragtag bunch of guys that can do either or I think this is one of those things that they're still kind of figuring out right so I if it was up to me let's go pin and pull I think it's easier for the offensive linemen uh to to perform I also think you know there's some benefits with it I think you you know your down blocks are a higher percentage block to execute um you know where you can leverage defenders and I think you know uh the offensive linemen it gives you a built-in advantage with angles when it comes to uh linebackers scraper towards the line of scrimmage and then you have to look at your running back room right so Devin Singletary one of his things is you know his vision is is his biggest asset right so I think running backs vision for cutback lanes and so forth and I think Zach Moss isn't far behind him in terms of the vision so I think that's what they would that's what I would do if I was Dable moving into uh, 2021. I think one of the things that we don't talk about enough is the marriage of run game concepts to pass game concepts. And we have a tendency to think of them as two distinct things in our mind. And it's not necessarily true. And I like the fact that you brought up the fact that zone concepts allow you to do things with the quarterback, like checks with check with me's and flips are a lot easier when you have control at the line. If you have a zone running play, those things are a little bit easier. Plus, if you look at some of the quarterback-friendly offenses in this in this environment right now, we're in the NFL, a lot of them look the same. If you look at the Shanahan offense, if you look at Sean McVay offense, if you look at what Arthur Smith did with Ryan Tannehill, a lot of it's based on zone blocking and play-action boot. I mean, zone blocking and play-action boot right off the bat. And that has a tendency with those intermediate routes, pull those linebackers up, give the quarterback easy, you know, high-low reads. And all this stuff is based on the fact that you have zone blocking up front. So it's not just about the run game. It's also about marrying the run with the pass. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up. I know that Shanahan's and... McVay's offenses are not the same, but they're based on that similar concept that that can help with the jet motion, zone blocking, play action boots. I mean, all this stuff, the idea there's a misdirection, they're pulling people in different directions and all this stuff is, is good. And of course the Rams pretty much think that they went as far as they could go with Jared Goff as the trigger man. And that offense based around those concepts 
allow Jared Goff to play at pretty high level for a little bit. But ultimately, your offense can only do you give you so much juice. You know, it can only take you so far, and you need your quarterback to be able to make some plays that other people can't make. And Jared Goff wasn't that guy for them, so they moved on to a guy who they thought was better suited for it, and, and Matthew Stafford. Sterling, dude, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about interior offensive line. I feel like it's something that we just needed a refresher on this close to the draft. I just feel like when we sit down and we pull out our popcorn or our wings, or I think we're having gumbo. I think my wife and I are having gumbo. I think it's for day two of the draft. <laughs> we're having gumbo for the draft. And you sit there and you eat your gumbo and you have your cornbread because you got to have cornbread with gumbo. And when you do that and the Bills pick an interior offensive line or they trade up for one in the second round, you're like, wait, what? This is ridiculous. And I just wanted to make sure that we touched on it. So thank you so much for being here. I know that I already took an opportunity and shared with everybody where they can find you, but go ahead and just make sure that you tell the people where they can find you on social media, what you're working on, what they can look forward to from Sterling. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, my name is Sterling. I'm with the cover one network, uh, the hoof podcast. You can find me on Twitter at furrow Sterling. Uh, my co-host Anthony Mangan or Anthony Romeo now, and uh, he's going to kill me for that. And then uh, Eric Brown, uh, but, you know, cover one, you know, we've been grinding really hard with this draft, uh, you know, just kind of dissecting these players. Eric Turner does a fantastic job. Bruce, you've worked with him many times uh, where, you know, with these prospects and doing uh, these film reviews. So we just kind of been, you know, in the trees, just kind of grinding. And uh, we, dude, I'm so pumped for for next week. You don't even understand one, because I just want to see who the bills are going to get. But two, then I can start on my on the prospects for, for the next se- next season. Right. So I'm, I'm stoked. I kind of need this to be over with. Not going to lie. Yeah. It gets to the point now where I'm pretty much ready. I'm ready for this to be over. Now I've pretty much seen everything I'm going to see. I'm not going to get to 200 prospects. My goal every year is to get to 200. I'm not going to, it's not going to happen. Um, as a hobbyist, I just have too many other things that pull my time away from this. So I'm not going to get a chance to have a chance to sit down and actually take individual notes on 200 different prospects. So there is going to be, there's a high likelihood that the bills are going to draft somebody. And I'm going to go, listen, I've heard that name before. Like I know who that person is, but I don't have any opinions on him yet. And that's really sad. I hate it when that happens. And when I go, Hey Bruce, what do you think about this pick? Well, I could lie to you and just make up something based on a quick skimming of a draft network profile. If that would, does that, does that sound good? I can just, could I appease you with that, Mr. and Mrs. Bills Mafia? But the answer is no. So I'm excited for it to get here. I'm ready for it to get here. I don't start next year's until August, so you're going to be ahead of me because I don't start next year's stuff until August because I need I, I need a break. And I'm too busy with all sorts of weird stuff that the Bruce Exclusive gets into in the offseason. During the dog days, man, things get kooky on the Bruce exclusive. So you never know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have you back when I'm, I'm out of ideas and I need something. The, I need, I need some sterling in my life to help make my listeners aware of this awesome other content creation that we've got going out there. So sterling, thank you so much. I Bruce, really appreciate you. Being love, here. Man. Appreciate you, man. And I love your work too, man. You're, you're the, uh, the goat out here. So we're all looking up at you, Bruce. You already know that. So, uh, I love, Buffalo Rumblings, man, you guys have been so good to me and my team. Uh, just couldn't thank you guys enough for the collaboration the opportunity to be on your podcast. I know you don't extend many invites here, but uh, thank you so much for, for having me on.